Welcome to the Power Fivecast Week 13 DFS Preview. I'm Jacob Doyle, and I am joined, as always, by our DFS soul collector and college football lead at Cups Corner, Bobby Berger. Bobby, what's going on, man? Jake, always good to be talking college football on a Thursday night. I just got back from the uh, local Walmart, had to make a quick run. Guess what I got? Uh, well, something you weren't planning on getting for your daughter. Uh, actually, no, I, I, I resisted. And, oh, okay. Uh, you can build some character without it. You know, she's got plenty of stuff here, trust me. Um, so anyways, I got the ever-important items of some, some beer, some air filters, and some popcorn. That was wow. the trick. But the must-haves. Got the must-haves. So that leads me to my question. You know, I was standing in the popcorn aisle, and I'm like, what kind should I get? Here. So are you more of a regular white guy? Are you caramel? Are you butter? Are you like movie theater butter? Are you something else? Where do you stand there on popcorn? Well, I'll tell you, Bob. Uh, I lived in Chicago for a little bit, so have you ever heard of Garrett's? I have heard of Garrett's, yes. I do like that. That's like cheese and caramel mixed. Yeah, okay. That's not my favorite, though. My favorite, and it, it's not its not like a kind you pop at home. It's like in the snack aisle with like chips and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's The brand is Popcorn Indiana, and it is sweet and salty kettle corn. And it's huh. like the best thing I've ever had in my life. I live closer to Indiana than you, and I don't, I've never seen it in the store. Well, it might be hard to find. I don't know. Maybe you have to order it online or something. But I am telling you, it is the best. And I don't normally love kettle corn, but just a little bit of that salty with it. I don't know what it is, but, man, that stuff's awesome. Yeah, I'm more of a kettle corn uh, guy myself. And actually, my little daughter loves the kettle corn and won't eat as much of the butter popcorn. So maybe she takes after her dad. Who knows? There's also a kind that I've had before where it came with, like, this this melty, I don't even want to know what was in it, marshmallow packet thing. Yikes. And it was kettle corn, and you could, like, drizzle it on after you <laughs> after you oh pop it. God. And it was, like, marshmallowy, buttery, I don't even know. Yeah, just mm. awful. But That'll send me right to my primary care physician. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you well, have a trivia question for me this week? Yeah, speaking of, um, you know, things that might... Uh, send you to the primary care physician we are going to talk this week about the past sack rate of offensive lines all right so out of all you know it's just the percentage of pass plays they get sacked on so jake i have to give you a hard one because i feel like i'm playing stump the schwab if you remember (laughs) with you you're like an encyclopedia over here it's hard to stump you so i gotta give you a hard one there happen to be four teams on the slate this week that rank 123rd or worse in pass sack rate on the offensive line, name them. Syracuse? Syracuse is 129. Okay, I knew that one had to be bad. Um, Oof. I'm trying to think here. Uh, there's three group of five games, and that's what's throwing me off. I don't know if I want to guess one of those. Uh, South Florida? South Florida's 128. Okay. Mm, UCLA? UCLA is not on there. They are 92, so it was a pretty good guess. Okay. Um, God, I just don't know anything about Tulane or anything like that. I'm not going to guess them because I think their quarterback runs pretty well. West Virginia? West Virginia is actually 26th, believe it or not. Holy cow. I just knew they had a horrible running game, so I didn't trust their offensive line. They do throw a lot, so. 
Boy, this is a hard one. All right, this is my last guess if last I get guess. it wrong. Kansas? Mm-mm. Yeah, I was just Kansas throwing that one out there. It's 36, actually, believe it or not. Um, so the, this, is a, this is a really hard one. Navy is actually 123. Oh. Believe it or not. And then Louisville is 125. Oh, wow, that's surprising. I wouldn't yeah. have guessed that one. So for Navy, is that just – do they count it any time their quarterback gets tackled behind the line of scrimmage? I, I think it would just be – the, the time they're sacked, you know, and, and Notre Dame sacked them like a million times last week. So, yeah, it's, I just know that they count it as a sack. Like, well, maybe that, maybe that's it. They, they, they count it as rushing. So I didn't know if like that was factored in too, but I guess they just passed such a low percentage of the time Yep. that it wouldn't take as many. Okay. Well, yeah, that's interesting. That was a tough one. That was a tough one. Yeah. Wow. It's hard to, yeah, I knew Syracuse right off the bat, but yeah, that, that was a good yeah. one. So, but that's an important stat because, you know, if you're, going back and forth on a running quarterback and you see that that guy's going to take, you know, three or four sacks and they're playing against a good defensive line, you can deduct 30 or 40 yards, you know, it's basically a passing touchdown. Oh yeah. Uh, your projection. So something important to look at. I specifically looked at that with Tommy DeVito this week on Syracuse when trying to figure out if he was playable or not, but we'll get into yeah. all that. Do you have a lesson of the week for us before we get into the slate? Yeah, I do real briefly. Um, just understanding what the fantasy website pricing and kind of what they're doing. Um, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel, uh, if we understand what they're trying to do, it's basically like having the other team's playbook. It just gives us this whole different understanding, a better idea of what they're doing. And what DK is doing this year is they're just really, really slow to adjust pricing. It seems like whatever the price is for this week, that's what they were at the beginning of the year, just very slow moving. Um, so it'll give you a, a better sense of uh, kind of ownership in a sense. And you know, when you see someone priced so low, it's just like, well, that's kind of where he's been all year. That's what I would kind of expect. Um, but it also allows you for opportunity to say, well, who isn't priced up? And that's basically the guys who haven't played at all and due to some kind of injuries in the in the starting lineup. And then all of a sudden they're viable, which is going to come into play this week. Um, do you have anything else to add to that, Jake? Yeah, that's a good point on, on the, the injury switches because you can easily tell where people are going to pivot then in those kind of situations. And then, yeah, I mean, just it's week 13. So at this point, if the prices aren't moving around a lot, and I'm sure we're guilty of this too, and, and you kind of have a feel all season long of how owned people are going to be, it's not going to change that much because people kind of get locked in and kind of have their old familiar, like an old reliable, oh, I always go to this guy. And so if they always stay around that price, you know, you can build your base with how many times these teams have been on the slate so far. You know, you almost can just reflexively see a team and say, okay, well, I'm going to grab this guy because I always do. And so you know that if people have been doing that and you know their ownership percentages, if you track that throughout the season, I guess that can give you a pretty good indicator before you even submit your lineups and stuff. So, yeah, that's a good one. Cool. Um, Let's get into it then. Okay. Well, we're going to start, as we always do, with the Big Red X. Last week we had a record of Big Red Xs. So how many do you have this week and who, who do you have? We have just four this week, Jake. So we've got a work cut out for us in this slate. Um, the four teams are Kansas, Penn State, Texas A&M, and Georgia. And disclaimer, we were really close in a couple other teams, but we'll talk about why. Yeah. Is this the first time all year we've just X'd out a game altogether with A&M and Georgia? I don't mm-hmm. recall, but. I, I think we X'd out Michigan, Michigan State, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we definitely did. Could have used a couple guys on Michigan, though, but. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, let's get into it then. We'll start, as we always do, with the will-it-be-close tier. 
The first game up in that one is Kansas at Iowa State. The spread in this one's Iowa State minus 24 and a half. The over-under is 58 and a half. We X'd out Kansas, so we're going to move right past them and go right into Iowa State. Uh, we've talked about them. They've been on this slate all year long, so I don't know if you, they're just specific players. I can go over some prices. Brock Purdy at quarterbacks, 8.1K. Brees Hall, 6.7. And then the receivers, they're always pretty – you know, kind of chunked together in their pricing. Deshante Jones is 5.6K. LaMichael Petway is 5.2. Charlie Kohler at tight end is 5.3. Tariq Milton's 5.1. Uh, like you talked about, they, they haven't moved a lot on those prices. So those guys are always kind of clumped together like that. So where are you seeing this one? We, we know that Kansas is a terrible team. We X them out because it looks like that offensive explosion they had for a couple weeks wasn't for real. So with this big of a spread, what do you trust Iowa State to do? Is there just one place in particular you want to go? Or are you going to spread things out and, and kind of, you know, stack a couple guys together? What do you think for Iowa State? Well, like you said, you know, those two weeks they had a offensive explosion looking back. You know, hindsight's a twenty twenty, but that was against Texas Tech and a depleted Texas team. That's when Kansas looked really good. Um, so Iowa State's a different ball game, And my concern overall with this game is just a blowout factor. You know, Iowa State's played in a bunch of games where Brock Purdy's two minutes left. He's got the ball, and he's racking up fantasy points in the fourth quarter. I'm not sure that's the case, and I'm not sure Kansas can keep it close. So because of that, a little less interested in the passing game. Um, But the running game here, I I, I mean, is there a spot this year where we haven't targeted running backs against Kansas? No, I mean, I I don't think so. I I was looking into this, and – in, in Big 12 play, they've allowed at least 147 rushing yards, just just two running backs in every single game. And, and that was the Texas game where they gave up 147 to the running backs. But Ellinger himself at, at quarterback added 91 more. So, you know, Brees Hall's had five straight games with 18 rushes, and he's also had 15 catches in those games. So, yeah, with Kansas on the year, they've get, they're giving up 233 rushing yards a game and 5.0 yards per carry. 93rd in defensive explosive drive rate, 96th in yards per play allowed. They're number 123 in plays allowed per game. So if this is kind of a blowout spot, it seems like Brees Hall has workhorse back written all over him at 6.7K. So, I mean, do you feel the same way there? Are you going to smash him in this spot? It's hard not to. It really is hard not to, especially um, those extra couple of catches each week. Those don't hurt. Yeah, for sure. And if you can get a hundred yard bonus out of that. So uh, you talked about in the passing game, maybe not going as hard. Uh, Deshante Jones, I I found it really interesting with him is he hasn't really been a big catch guy throughout his career. He's averaging 11.9 yards per catch this season. And he is a senior and is averaging 11.4 yards per catch in his career. He has just two touchdowns this year, but they're both over 75 yards. One was 75 and one was, I believe, 84 so it, it seems like it's with those being his only two touchdowns, it kind of weirds me out thinking about whether I'd want to play him or not, because he'd be the guy that I'd go to and the guy that I'd favor just because he has the most receptions on the team and all that. But it just seems like he only gets touchdowns when they're kind of fluky, broken plays. But do you think he could get another one of those against Kansas or yeah. are you not as sure about that? Because at 5.6, that was the, the place I did look if I was going to have anything on Iowa State there. I don't know about well, you. Yeah, well, that's probably the type of guy I'm going to play if I'm looking at one of these Iowa State receivers, you know, when there's all when there's ever a, you know, a blowout risk, we know a wide receiver's not going to get there with eight, nine, ten catches. That's probably unlikely. But where he can get there is if he could have three catches, you know, for 130 yards and two touchdowns. So we definitely want the explosive wide receivers. And, you know, broken play or not, Deshante Jones is getting some of those deep looks. So we have well, to be 
Yeah, and like at least he offers a higher floor because yep. a guy like Tariq Milton, who's high yards per catch, but he could easily end the game with two catches for forty yards or something, and you just don't right. get anything out of it. So, at least with Deshante Jones, if worse comes to worse, he might end up with six, seven, eight catches. I mean, even in the first two and a half quarters or something. So, yeah. Okay. Um, well, LaMichael Petway, 5.2. Charlie Kohler, 5.3. I wasn't as interested in those guys because, like you talked yeah. about, who knows how this game script's going to be, especially in the second half. So I don't know. If you're ready, we can move on to the next game. It, we're going to stay in the Big 12, though. It's Oklahoma State at West Virginia. The spread in this one is Oklahoma State minus 6.5. The over-under is 55.5. We got some news today that Spencer Sanders at quarterback is out for the season. He hurt his thumb. And that kind of hurt us last week. I, I know, I think we both played him at least a little bit, and it just seemed like it was really bothering him. So Drew Brown came in the game, and Spencer Sanders was priced at 6.9K. Drew Brown is at 4.9K, so 2,000 cheaper is going to be the starter now. At least he's probable. He actually showed up on the injury report too, but it sounds like he's going to be fine. So at 4.9K, he's not much of a runner. I, I did see in his freshman year at Hawaii, he had 283 rushing yards, but then was negative his sophomore year. So he transferred mm -hmm. over to Oklahoma State after that. And at the beginning of the season, they actually said it, it was basically going to be like co-starters. And it's because Sanders is such a rusher and, and Drew Brown is more of the pure passer that, you know, obviously coming from the Hawaii system. But Spencer Sanders in their first game when they were at Oregon State just got off to such a hot start. They never ended up making the switch and they just rolled with him. But Drew Brown in this spot, I mean, he seems capable, almost, almost, you know, was going to get playing time anyway at the beginning. So at 4.9K, do you see him as like a Davis Mills type from last week where you just, because of the price, even if he's not going to offer any rushing or anything, you, you have to use him? Yeah. He, well, now we hear word that, um, uh, you know, Drew Brown got hurt in practice and his hand is bothering him. Um, it sounds like he's still going to play, and Oklahoma State has been pretty truthful about injuries this year, so I do expect him to play, but that's something we have to monitor there because there's a chance that, um, you know, he could uh, he could sit out. And a hand injury, like, yeah, it's not a great injury for a quarterback, obviously. So I, I was ready to go all in, but now hearing about this hand injury, I'm kind of, you know, stepping back a little bit. I am not. I, if if okay. he's going to start at that price at 4.9 yeah. on this kind of slate, I, I almost just don't even care. I mean, if he throws for 250 yards and two touchdowns at that point, a kind of price for a quarterback, what that opens you up for. Mm -hmm. I mean, I totally understand it with him being more of a passer, but with Dylan Stoner at 5.2K, I feel like that is just a super cheap stack. Yeah. And Dylan Stoner has two touchdowns in each of the games that Tylen Wallace has been out. And so the other thing I wanted to ask you, though, too, about their passing game is Landon Wolf is at 4,000, and he seems like he's stepped a little bit into the Dylan Stoner role, which hasn't this season really come with many touchdowns. But if Drew Brown is more of a passer and less of a running sure. threat, do you see Landon Wolf at that kind of price? I mean, that would be an unbelievably steep, steep cheap stack. I can't talk. If you put those guys together, I, I'm not talking about doing it, just going crazy and doing it in every lineup or anything like that, but right. that's at least something I'm exploring. Do you have any interest in that? Is that looking too hard or do you like the possibilities that that would open up with the rest of your lineup? Yeah. The, the challenge I'm having with that is Chuba Hubbard is such in a good, in such a good spot. Um, maybe you could do it and fade Chuba Hubbard. Um, good luck with that. <laughs> um, it's potentially viable. Uh, you know, there's a chance Hubbard doesn't look as good this week because Spencer Sanders is a running quarterback and that's, you know, one extra guy the defense has to commit to the run. But in that same vein, you got a backup quarterback 
quarterback with a bad hand, the game plan is probably to give it to Chuba Hubbard 35 times. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm really kind of struggling with this game, Jake. So at 8.9K on Hubbard, you're thinking about playing him? I, I was actually thinking about fading him. That, I mean, he's just – that is so expensive. I, I mean, yeah. I get what you're saying, though, too, and, and I looked at it, and the West Virginia defense is 112 out of 130 in the amount of plays they allow per game. So if that's kind of their game plan anyway, that could mean Oklahoma State's offense is on the field a lot if they're continuing yeah. to feed him. So there could be opportunities there. I was just trying to think of you know what he would have to do. Sure. You, you, you have to get at minimum two touchdowns out of him and – at least 180 yards or something like that before you're even, and I don't even know if that would do it. So that, that was why I was a little bit concerned about Chuba Hubbard. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I mean, he's the goal line guy. He just gets so many darn touchdowns. I mean, last week he played two and a half quarters and just smashed. Um, you look at Brees Hall against West Virginia and that was a game. He went for 26, 132 and three. So it's like, you know, I could, he's, he's hard to fade every single week. And so I'm struggling with this game just because we just don't have enough information on the health of Brown. And I just don't know what to expect from him because we haven't seen him this year. Okay. Well, we're going to have to keep looking for reports and things like that. Obviously we're recording on Thursday night, so we might learn more as the week goes on. And that could be telling in a situation like this, when you have a really cheap quarterback like that and a really expensive running back like that, you want to make sure you get it right in that kind of situation. So we'll have to, you know, we'll tweet stuff out. If you follow us at power five cast, any updates we get on anything like that, because that'll be important uh, before game day when people are setting lineups. Uh, let's go to the West Virginia side of things. I wanted to ask you about the quarterback, Jarrett Daggy. He's 6.2K. He got the start last week at Kansas State, was 20 for 30 for 234 yards, had three touchdown passes, no interceptions. He doesn't offer any rushing, but I'm at the point, I don't know if a lot of people will really even know who he is. His brother was a, a Texas Tech quarterback uh, probably six or seven years ago, and he had two 4,000-yard seasons, had 67 touchdown passes over those two years. And Deggie's a transfer from Bowling Green. He spent his first two years there, had, uh, let's see, last year as a sophomore, 27 touchdowns, completed over 62% of his passes, almost 2,700 yards. And that was last season. I think they, they must have had a coaching change or something because he was able to transfer without sitting out. So with him being the quarterback now at 6.2K, he's actually the same price as Austin Kendall. But because they won at Kansas State last week, I'd imagine he's going to get the start again. Mm-hmm. Even though he doesn't offer rushing, I'm thinking about possibly playing him just because I think he'll be so low-owned. But I, I don't know. I wanted to talk that out with you. Yeah, if, if, if you have a mega stack here like you were talking about before, you're going to need West Virginia to score and score quickly to uh, to keep up there. Um so if you're doing it in like one big mega stack, hope the game goes in the three overtimes type of deal. Um, yeah, he, he could be viable. Uh, I'm probably going to discount the brother stuff just because, you know, that guy wasn't Mike Leach's system. It looks like, uh, oh, yeah, this stats might be a little inflated. Uh, and I, I just, I have a hard time rostering non rushing quarterbacks. Well, it's going to help him out too, though, that he has TJ Simmons back at receiver. Yeah. Uh, TJ Simmons is 6,000 though. So that seems a little expensive for me, but I want to ask you about any of these guys, Sam James, you like him. He's 5.3 K George Campbell is 5,000 Bryce Wheaton, 4,000 Isaiah Esdale. They raised the price on him from minimum price up to 3.8 K. The thing that could keep me off of Deggy is I don't really like any of these guys to pair him with. So yeah. Could you help me out there on any of them? It seems like George Campbell, the Florida state guy over the last two weeks has come on a little bit, but he's, very boomer bust it looks like so i don't yeah. know what you're thinking these secondary receivers um 
if if Simmons is back, I, I'm not as interested in 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 them. Uh, one interesting thing just about DFS in general and Tyler Tambellini uh, at Gup's Corner, and I didn't give Gup's a shout out, but um, GCFFG is your ticket for uh, uh, you know percentage off um, for a subscription. There, you get all my articles, everything, and literally almost every single sport right now. And NBA has just been crazy hot lately. Um, anyways, Tyler does a lot of the golf and NFL stuff, and he's really good. Uh, and he talks about paying up to be contrarian sometimes. Uh, so when you see a guy like TJ Simmons, a lot of people are like, dude, 6K for him? No, I'm not paying him. But if no one pays up for him, next thing you know, he's like 1% or 2% owned. So sometimes it's one of those things like, well, you just pay up to be contrarian. Uh, and then Simmons is one of those guys that kind of fits the bill this week where he's going to be 1% to 2% owned. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a scary situation. I, I didn't know if he was hurt or what the deal was. It sounds like it, it was undisclosed, maybe like a, a team rules issue or something. So he's been away for yeah. uh, two or three weeks. I don't have any team rules stories this week, Jake. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I, it's either Simmons at 6.0K or Sam James at 5.3. Um, I know you have the notes here. He has two 100 games, but just two, D, two touchdowns on the season. Um, so... I mean, maybe he gets a 100-yard game at 5.3K. 100-yard game is really all you need with his catches because he's guys are going to catch a bunch of them. Um, and then the running backs, they're tempting. They tempted us with Letty Brown's price at 4.1, but I, I think I'm staying away. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it seems like Kennedy McCoy has taken back over at 4.9K. So if it was going to be anybody, for me, it would be him just because he's more involved in the receiving game. But yeah. I, I just can't do it. I mean, as, as a team on the season – they're averaging just 2.7 yards per carry and 77 yards per game. It's just, it's not pretty the way their offense is. I mean, they're number 102 in yards per play. A lot of that is because they just haven't been able to run the ball. So with those kind of guys, I mean, you have no shot at getting a 100 yard bonus and being able to get those kind of points. So for a guy like McCoy, you would have to count on like four or five catches and he'd have to get a touchdown or something. And if he's splitting it with Letty Brown anyway, just can't really do it. So, yeah. Okay, well, worth uh, keeping an eye on the situation in this game with with the quarterback for Oklahoma State, and that might determine how much interest you have in the game as a whole, and it, you know, because it could affect the game script based on how involved Chuba Hubbard's going to be. So that'd be interesting. We'll just have to you know keep checking in on that. But we can move to the next game. It's Penn State at Ohio State. The spread this one's Ohio State minus eighteen and a half. The over under is fifty seven and a half. We gave Penn State the big red X. Ohio State gets the superpower tag. Uh, I don't know. I actually thought about Xing out Ohio State and just fading them because their players are so expensive. Wow. And in our yeah. picks podcast, Joe and I are both on the under in this game. Okay. I don't know. It's just with Justin Fields at 8.6K and J.K. Dobbins at 7.7, I don't know how much I love that. My The, the reason I decided not to X them out is because Olave finally, it was the first time all season a receiver on Ohio State had a 100-yard game. That was for him last week against Rutgers. He's 5.9K. And in the last two weeks, Penn State's secondary has just been exposed. They've given up 710 passing yards in the last two games. So that had me a little more interested. That was against Indiana and Minnesota. So with Ohio State being at home here like that, Olave at 5.9, I was a little bit interested. But, I, ah, man, I just don't know if I could pay up for these guys against a good defense. And Penn State's played Ohio State tough these last few years. So you might need to help me out here. You know, they have. They have played them tough. But this is, you know, 2019 Ohio State. It doesn't matter who they play. Um, And you almost wonder, is like, so before we had two and a half quarters of these guys on every single game. 
this week we're going to get four quarters out of them. Uh, so someone like Justin Fields, who's going to play for four quarters against a team that's given it up in the past a little bit, I, I might have him, you know, throwing for a few more yards here. And then J.K. Dobbins, you know, seems like they've kind of been saving him the last couple weeks, and uh, I think he's going to be raring to go. And I think we can easily project him for over twenty, uh, definitely, probably around twenty rushes and even some uh, some catches. So I, I'm definitely going to have some shares of Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins just because. I mean, everyone else in the slate, everyone else they played this year, they've dominated. So why not Penn State? <laughs> yeah, I just look at their prices and it freaks me out. I don't know. I don't. For some reason, I'm nervous about it. I I might. God, man, I don't know what to do. It's the best defense they played by far. But then you're you're watching Indiana, you know, blow them up. Um, and actually, one of the assistant coaches, Kevin Wilson, for Ohio State, I think he's one of the offensive assistants. He was from Indiana. Um, and now he's part of Ohio State. So in some ways, it might be kind of a similar system. And so seeing Indiana, you know, just run it up on Penn State there last week gives me confidence that Ohio State can do the same to Penn State this week. Yeah, so with with you saying that, I think I'd be more interested in Fields than Dobbins because it's just at 7.7K for Dobbins. I mean, if, if yeah. he's going to have to have 150 yards and two touchdowns because I mean, he only has 14 catches on the season through 10 games. So you know, and just one game over 30 receiving yards. So I'm not really counting on that. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he is really good, though. It is one of those things where if he goes off as one of the very best running backs in the country, mm-hmm. it's like I always say when in situations like that, I don't want to be caught with zero of him in case That's he ends fair. up being a slate breaker. So, yeah, okay, I hear you. Well, at receiver, I mean, would you pair fields with Alave and draw the yeah. line there? Or no, you're not interested? Jake, you know me in Ohio State. I, I suck at predicting Ohio State receivers. They move them all over the yard. Uh, no, I'm just – I'll just fade them. Okay, let's move to the next game then. We are going to move to the be picky tier. The first game up in this one is Texas A&M at Georgia. And spread this one's Georgia minus 13.5. The over-under is 44. And, Bob, we are going to be really picky here yeah. because we X'd out Texas A&M and Georgia. So yeah, <laughs> I just I had, had, had over – over under a 44, uh, just compared to the rest of the slate, and we know what Georgia wants to do. And, and DeAndre Swift, I think he was 7.6K. Going up, you know, with Georgia's defense being at home, I, I just I couldn't do it. I mean, I looked into it on both teams, and I, I just couldn't find the angle that I wanted, especially with with Lawrence Cager banged up again. Uh, out. Yeah, I feel you. Same thing here. Okay, well, let's keep moving then to the next one. It's Texas at Baylor. The spread in this one's Baylor minus six. The over under is 59. We'll start with Texas. Sam Ellinger is 8.3K. Keontae Ingram at running back is 6.1. And then Colin Johnson's a game-time decision at receiver at 5.6K. We can talk about him more in a second. Devin Duvernay, 7.3K. Pretty expensive at receiver. Brandon Eagles, 5.2K. I don't know if that's as far as you would go. You know, Colin Johnson with the hamstring thing, we talked about that a little bit last week, and now at a game-time decision, I just flat-out don't trust that. So I think I'm interested in Duvernay, even though he's expensive, he has such a high floor at 87 catches through 10 games. It basically, if he, you know, he, he gets nine for, for a hundred. If he scores a touchdown, you're at value there just because he gets so many catches. It, it's almost like getting an extra touchdown with how many receptions he gets. Do you feel the same way about that? Or is he kind of getting priced out for you? And how did you feel about the rest of Texas here? Baylor's defense is pretty good. So yeah, Baylor's defense is good. And what I've done all year long is just throwing out the Oklahoma game. So they're just on a different level. I throw out Oklahoma, throw out Ohio State, throw out LSU, throw out Alabama, throw out Clemson, and just look at how Baylor's done against everyone else in the schedule. And 
they've done pretty good, and they've really limited rushing yards for quarterbacks. So that hurts Sam Ellinger for me big time because he's a guy that if we're playing, paying that high a price, we want his rushing upside. And Baylor's shown the ability to stop those guys. Um, running backs, no, I'm not, I'm not paying any timeshare there uh, against Baylor uh, with Texas. And Texas offensive line, uh, they leave a little bit more to be desired at, at times there. And, and Baylor's defensive line is very good. Um, so now we're on the wide receivers, Jake. Um, yeah, same thing with Duvernay. I, I think he's becoming he's, – he's, he's just like a 10-target – hundred yard machine every game. Um, I mean, how, how do you fade that? Um, and and then are you, are you someone who's going to maybe play Eagles if Colin Johnson is out? Like talk me through that. Uh, I don't want to, I, I mean, he's 5.2 K. I just wish he was cheaper. I wish he was like 4.6 or something. It, it's just hard to pay. I mean, you were basically counting on, he, I mean, he must get a touchdown and that might not even be good. Like his last three games, He's averaging four catches for 60 yards and has two touchdowns in that time. Like that right there isn't really good enough. So you're basically what you're counting on with him is catching a long touchdown pass and then having a few more catches. I don't really know if he's worth the risk. I mean, even if he does catch a 60 yard touchdown, you don't really know if you're going to get anything else out of him the rest of the game. Cause we've talked about how inefficient he's been with his targets but with Colin Johnson possibly out, and even if Colin Johnson does play again, it's just a hamstring thing. It, it could flare up on him. He might not last the whole game. I don't know. I, it's just Duvernay is so much safer. And even though we like to play tournaments, I, I just, man, I don't know. I, I, I don't like Eagles very much in this situation. I, I think I'll just stick with Duvernay. He might be the only guy I play for Texas, actually, the more I think about it. Gotcha. I, I might be in the same boat, actually. I want to talk myself into Eagles and I want to play him, but it just, the more you do the math on it and his price at 5.2, it, it's really hard to make that work. So yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, we'll continue to think about that throughout the week. We'll move on to Baylor though. For now there, Charlie Brewer is 7.9 K. I was talking to you a little bit about this before we started recording is he always just seems so expensive and normally, I, I just can't do it. But at 7.9 against this Texas defense, they're giving up over 300 passing yards a game. And Brewer actually has rushed really well here lately and on, on the season. So what do you think about him with, with potential rushing upside? Yeah, I, I think he's really just not getting the credit. Um, and maybe that's because he plays at Baylor. Uh, maybe because the only time people saw him, they lost. But I feel like people just aren't giving him credit for – uh, the type of quarterback he is. I mean, he's pretty good, and he has some significant rushing upside. Um, significant. So he'll definitely be in my player pool. Um, running backs at Baylor is always a fade. They just, I mean, they just ride the hot hand. That's just what they do. Um, I wanted to ask you about the receivers, Jake, because I see Denzel Mims is probable, uh, which he might not play. We don't know. Um, and Texas pass defense has been so bad, but they have multiple guys here. Um, so I'm kind of struggling with what wide receivers to play here. Do you have any thoughts? It sounded to me like Denzel Mims was fine. Okay. They said it was one of the final plays of the game, and the injury was, quote, banged up. And yeah. he should be ready to go. And he, from what I – I didn't see anything about him missing any practice or anything like that. So with how bad Texas has been against the pass – I think I'm just going to go with him. If he were to be out, then I'd be more interested in either Josh Fleeks or RJ Snead or Tyquan Thornton. 
but I'm not going to go to any of those guys unless I hear something else about Mims. It's just Tyquan Thornton was hot for a while a few games back, but he's got five straight games without a touchdown, just four catches over the last two games. Sneed just doesn't get enough consistent enough work. So Fleeks at 4.6, I might be a little interested in if Mims were to be out, but let's assume Mims is going to play. I mean, I'm, I'm going to play him for sure. I mean, he's got five touchdowns over the last three games. So it's, you know, against this kind of defense, he could easily have a hundred yard game. I, I think I'll go with Mims if he's playing and I might even pair him up with Brewer. You know, what's interesting about Brewer is as you were talking yeah. about his rushing, I looked up his last five games, he's got 17, 15, 19, 12, and 15 rushing attempts with seven rushing touchdowns in that time. So, wow, yeah, I mean, that's crazy. So yeah, I think that's what I'll do is just stick, stick pretty simple here and do Brewer and Mims and Okay. Maybe together a little bit, maybe Brewer on his own because of the rushing. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, and then you could run back Duvernay on the other side. Mm, yeah, 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 for sure. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we can move on from this game then and move to the next one, which is Michigan at Indiana. The spread in this one's Michigan minus 9.5. The over-under is 54. I never know what to do with Michigan. We really could have played Shea Patterson last week. He's 6.5K. He seems fringy. He had four touchdown passes last week, but hasn't been rushing nearly as much lately. I I saw he went through a four-game stretch where he had 80 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns, but the last three games, he's at negative eight yards rushing combined and zero rushing touchdowns. So with that being the case, can we – I almost see it as as maybe a little bit contrarian where people see what he did last week with four touchdowns and Michigan is a favorite here. In Indiana and some more higher-scoring games, people might want to go to Shea Patterson. I'm tempted to pivot away from him, but it seems like you've had a good feel for Shea Patterson all year long, so I'll go with you on this one. What do you think about him? Yeah, He's so hit or miss. You know, he has these games where he's awesome, and then he has these games where he kind of stinks. Um, it sounds kind of crazy, but Indiana's defense has been halfway decent. Their schedule stinks, um, so maybe their stats are a little bit inflated. Uh, but my concern with Shea Patterson is his lack of rushing lately. Uh, we know he can do it, but it, with Michigan rolling like this and they got three healthy running backs, it seems like they're very content to uh, – just run it down by the goal line. Um, so because of his lack of rushing upside, and if Michigan gets up in this game, they're a type of team who just likes to run, 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 and just you know, um, kind of exhaust the game that way. So, I, and then the, the hard thing about Patterson too is like, who do you stack him with? I mean, these receivers are so inconsistent with targets. Ronnie Bell will go nine targets, ten targets, one, two, nine targets, ten targets. So Bell's a good tournament play, but I wouldn't touch him in cash games. I mean, is he your favorite receiver? Is that how you feel about Patterson? What are you thinking? You know, I think I'm going to pivot away from Michigan. I, with with the way they share at running back, I can't trust that. But I, I do agree with what you're talking about, how they like to run it in with the running backs. At, I mean, last week it was Haskins, I think, who got the rushing touchdown. And in the second half when they were up, it was True Wilson or whatever getting some carries. So that's where I would want to go with Charbonnet or Haskins at 5.7 and 4.6. But with the way they've been sharing it, I can't do it. And Ronnie Bell has a good price at 5.1. And I feel like it, it'd be a good – it might be smart to pivot away from I think he'll be a really popular play this week because he had a career career game last week with nine catches for 150 yards. He has zero touchdowns on the season, though. So Ooh. I think it might be a popular thing for people to play him in Patterson. And I think I might just pivot away from it. I actually might X out Michigan here. I, the more I think about it, I don't know. OK, no, I, that'd be totally fine. I could definitely see X out Michigan. 
I mean, it's just hard with them. Like you were saying with, with Patterson, it, it's kind of up and down. So I don't know the, the, the Ronnie bell, he could just, it's just the zero touchdowns on the season. That makes it really hard. Sure. And, and like tough. you were talking about his targets are inconsistent too. So I don't know. I mean, I, I did think a little bit about Nick Eubanks. He has three touchdowns in the last four games at tight end. But the yardage just isn't there for him. The catches aren't there for him. So at 4.2K, yeah. he's touchdown dependent. But even if he has three for 30 and a touchdown, that's not really anything to get all that excited about. So, yeah, you know. All right. Well, let's move to Indiana then and talk about them. Peyton Ramsey, his price went up by either 16 or 1700 from last week. He's now 6.5K. He does offer rushing. But going against this Michigan defense, you know, he's thrown for 350 yards two out of the last three games. Going against this Michigan defense, though, do you trust him to be able to put up? The, Michigan's defense has given up just 155 passing yards per game and just 108 rushing yards per game. So they've really been clamping down, especially lately. Uh, so with the price increase on Ramsey, are you out on him? Especially Watt Villier at receiver is, is in concussion protocol. He might not play. and That's kind of been his safety blanket, the, at least for Indiana, whoever they've had at quarterback. It kind of makes me nervous there. Again, this might be a, a more popular game because of how Indiana played last week and because of how Patterson and Ronnie Bell were. Uh, the more I think about it, I might pivot away from this game, but I, I want to hear what you think on Indiana. We talked about we, they might have been X'd out, but... Yeah, you know, I wanted to X them out. Um, I think that last week for Penn State was just such a great spot for Indiana. You know, Penn State was coming off of Minnesota, um, and then they had Ohio State this week. Um, so with that said, I, I really think it was a perfect spot for Indiana and just seeing Michigan's defense lately, it looks like they're firing on all cylinders. Some of the younger guys are starting to step up and it's just not a situation I want to target. Uh, maybe you can talk me into them. So I'm, I'm leaving that as a possibility. Well, there are two guys here and it all depends on what failure. If he, I'm not going to play him just because if he's going through concussion protocol and he's 5.2 K, but if he is out, then Ty Freifogel at 4.4K, he had five catches, 131 yards, and a touchdown last week. And Fillier left, I think, in the first quarter. And uh, Freifogel now is actually second on the team in receptions and yards. He's had three touchdowns on the season. They're all in the last five games. He's got 17 catches over the last four games. So at 4.4K, if Fillier's out, I might be a little more interested in him. And then Peyton Hendershot at tight end is 4.3K. He had been down. He got off to a really good start this season, and then he's kind of just slowed down. In three out of the last five games, just one catch. But last week with Fillier out, he had seven catches for 51 yards. So with Fillier being more of that slot guy and safety blanket type guy, I just wonder if, you know, with, with Peyton Ramsey, who I always call the Alex Smith of college football, <laughs> I wonder with a guy like Fillier out, if Peyton Hendershot, maybe with those seven catches last week, was more of a target for a quarterback like that, if they want to keep going underneath it on shorter routes and stuff. So, and Hendershot's a really good tight end. So at 4.3 and Freifogel at 4.4, I, I wouldn't do both, but I might pick between the two of them. If Fillier is out, I'm not that psyched about it, but if I'm looking for savings in a couple lineups or something, cause it is a little harder to come by this week. I mean, guys like that are Landon Wolf are really the only guys that I've come across that are 4,000 or in that range, 4,000 to 4,500 or less that I'd, even feel remotely comfortable with. So that's just what I wanted to talk through. I could understand if you weren't interested in either one though. Yeah. I'm, I'm still just, I just have a hard time, you know, I mean, maybe they could get some garbage time too. I guess I should consider that as well. Um, it's a maybe for me. I'll have to think about it. 
Okay, well, let's move on to the next game then, which is Syracuse at Louisville. The spread in this one is Louisville minus nine and a half. The over-under is 62 and a half. I'm pretty confused here when it comes to Syracuse. We talked about up front how bad their offensive line is. Louisville's number 72 in sack rate, though, so that might help Tommy DeVito a little bit. He did have a rushing touchdown last week, and then the previous two weeks had 29 rushing attempts combined. So it seems like he's had that a little bit when he's not taken six sacks or eight sacks, and that's really not even an exaggeration. When he's not doing that, he actually does get a decent amount of rushing, and he's 6.4K. So I don't know about him. I, they won 49-6 to six at Duke last week. I don't know how real that is. Mo Neal's 6.2 seems a little too expensive for me at running back. Tristan Jackson, 6.7 at receiver. Those were the only three guys worth mentioning, I think, on Syracuse. How do you feel about them? Would you play any of these guys? Yeah. You know, when I originally was going into the slate, and um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, Louisville – uh, maybe their defense has turned a corner. Last week they did good against NC State. Every other game they've been terrible. And then I watch NC State offense tonight, and it's like, oh, yeah, Bobby, duh. You know, NC State's offense is garbage. Um, so there might be some opportunity here. I wish they were a little bit cheaper. Um, and DeVito's a hard one to trust. But these guys have upside. So um, they definitely have have some upside. Do you have a favorite? If yeah. Yeah. you play one, I would play Tristan Jackson if I played anyone. It's just Louisville's number 98 in defensive explosive drive rate, number 97 in yards per play. You talked about, I mean, NC State was on their number three quarterback and scored 20 points, and really they were on the doorstep. They had a first and goal at the end of the game that they didn't convert on. And Louisville's defense has given up 35 or more in every Power 5 game that they've played this season except for that one, and then they gave up 28 to Virginia. So if, if this profiles as a little bit of a higher scoring game, Tristan Jackson is actually number 12 in the power five. And if you take out Sage Surratt and Tylen Wallace, because they're both hurt out for the season, he'd actually be number 10 in, in the percentage of team targets at 28%. He's averaging over five catches a game. He's averaging 85 yards a game, has nine touchdowns on the season. So he could go off. I mean, he's had a couple big games, so he's in play for a touchdown and a 100 yard bonus. So I'm interested in Tristan Jackson there and a little bit with DeVito again, like I talked about when he's not getting sacked a ton, he actually does offer a little bit of rushing upside. So what I might actually do here is a little bit of a game stack if I am going to play anybody on Syracuse, because that's just sort of is how if I'm going to do it, I'm going to assume that they're going to be in the game with an over under 62 and a half. Maybe it shoots out a little bit and you could get some stuff on both sides. So let's move to the Louisville side of things. And I'm not going to play Mo Neal. So really it would just be either a stack with DeVito and Tristan Jackson or just Tristan Jackson by himself with some of these Louisville guys. Are you interested in, in Mikhail Cunningham here? I, I don't know what to make of him. He seems really up and down. And Javian Hawkins at running back has a thousand yard back, but it doesn't seem like he's had a ton of monster weeks, but he is only 5.5 K Mikhail Cunningham, 6.1. Let's start with those guys. What are you thinking there? You know, I, with Louisville, we got to look at um, the type of offense Satterfield wants to run. Um, and actually, Appalachian State runs a pretty similar offense. Credit to the NC State court coordinator that is now the head coach there, I believe. Which, yeah, it is. Which, looking at NC State tonight, it's like, you know, maybe that guy made a pretty big difference. Um, and what do they want to do? They want to run the ball. Uh, they want to run the ball a lot. I think... Louisville is 15th in run play percentage. That's despite being down in a bunch of games. So when they're up, they love to run the heck out of the ball. Um, Cunningham, I like his upside a little bit for rushing touchdowns, but I worry about his passing upside. I don't think he has many games um, where they've been ahead where he's thrown for a bunch of yards. 
Um, wide, re- wide receivers, they're kind of dependent on game flow as well. Uh, but the big play for me is Hawkins at 5.5K. I, I, I just don't know how you don't like him, especially with Syracuse on the road here. Uh, and they've you know given up some big games in the past to other running backs. So he's my favorite there. Do you have a favorite between Atwell and Fitzpatrick? Yeah, I do. And another thing, too, is Syracuse has given up 190 rushing yards a game and 4.7 yards per carry. And and Hawkins, even though he's not involved in the passing game, he has just three catches on the season. I was surprised about that. But it's 15 or more carries in all but one game. So if he gets 100 yards and a touchdown at 5.5K, you're right there without him even having to help in receiving. And that doesn't even account for him possibly having a bigger week than that. So I'm with you there on Hawkins. And yeah, I, I like Atwell and Fitzpatrick. I might play a little bit of both of them. Uh, Atwell 5.9, Fitzpatrick 5.3, but I love Atwell. Uh, he's number two in the power five in team target percentage. I, I just talked about how high up on the list Tristan Jackson was. I mean, Atwell's number two. He's only behind Elijah Moore for Ole Miss. He's got 920 yards on the season and nine touchdowns. He's got three straight 100-yard games, three straight games with a touchdown. It's kind of like you talked about with your lesson of the week is they've locked in a lot of these guys around their prices, and it, it just seems kind of capped. I'm not really sure in a game like this where they're at home, it's one of the higher over-unders in Syracuse defense. I mean, they're number 108 in defensive explosive drive rate, number 89 in yards per play. And, and it's not just their their run defense that's been bad. I mean, they're giving up about 250 passing yards a game too. So, you know, a lot of the targets going to Atwell, like I talked about, I think uh, I'm way more interested in him than Fitzpatrick, but I think I might even play them both. Like I talked about, if I do a game stack, I might do Hawkins, Atwell, and Tristan Jackson or something like that, and maybe even one of the quarterbacks. I want to get in on this one because it could shoot out. It seems like that's going to be the theme this week. Like, there's a lot of games that I know we've debated back and forth. Like, is this be picky? Is this fantasy goodness? Um, So we definitely want to go on the record and saying, you know, that might be the way to attack this slate is just to, hey, pick a few spots and say, hey, if this game shoots out, I got it covered. Yeah, I mean, that's a good strategy because we were talking before we started recording and I was telling you, like, I almost feel like every game is in the be picky tier where, like I always say, there's normally a, a kind of like a, a safe haven type game where it's like, no matter what, I know that I can have a core here and I'm going to have three players from this game or I know that there's this stack I can rely on or this one really cheap play that, I you know, you can sort of use as a foundation this week doesn't feel like that as much, so maybe I'll use this game, at least a couple guys, you know, between Hawkins, Atwell, guys like that, especially since they're cheaper, and, and kind of make that my foundation and kind of put my stake in the ground here in this one, but we'll see how it goes. Um, all right, well, we can move on to the next one, which is Memphis at South Florida, uh, one of three group of five games on this slate. I guess maybe that's why I had so much trouble is because I don't do nearly as much group of five. Three group of five games and then the Texas A&M-Georgia game that we just straight up X'd out, so there's really only seven other games than that, so... Uh, Memphis at Florida, the spread in this one's Memphis minus 14 and a half over under 59 and a half. I know you don't like rushing quarterbacks that don't rush all that much, but you know, last week, if you, there were a few quarterbacks, Davis Mills, Anthony Gordon, Brady White, where if you didn't have them, you didn't cash and he's just been on a tear. So do you feel like you have to play him even though he's more expensive and doesn't offer rushing? I, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, the thing about Brady White this week is I, I, I really have no confidence in South Florida's offense. If South Florida's going to win a game, it's going to be because they uh, kind of win this grind it out, slow the game down, you know, maybe get a couple fumbles, a couple picks, and win 24-21. to 21. I just do not have faith in South Florida to score a bunch of points and give White 
you know, the more reason to throw the ball around. So because of that, probably out on him. I know Patrick Taylor had five carries last week. He's a guy you want to play. Um, if But now Gainwell's, you know, obviously taking over the workload, so you can't play Taylor. And then Gainwell's kind of interesting at 8.2K. He's just so, so expensive. Um, so uh, I'm just kind of struggling with this one because South Florida is one of the better defenses, believe it or not, that Memphis is going to face, you know, in the – uh, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, because they've played Cincinnati, they've played Navy, they played a backup quarterback for BYU, they played Wisconsin, Georgia Tech, UConn, Temple. Yeah. So their pass defense looks good on paper, but when I was going through their schedules, like SMU is basically the only team that they've played that can pass. And what SMU do against them? Uh, they had, Bouchelle had three touchdown passes. I know okay. that. So, yeah. I, I mean, I think it was like 260 yards or something like that. Yeah, scored, uh, SMU scored forty eight in the game. Yikes! So I, I, that, I, I was sort of using that as my as my guide it, a little bit. I want to have shares here, but nothing's sticking out for me. If if that's fair. Well, what do you think about Coxey at six thousand? Antonio Gibson at five point two. Do you feel the same way about them? I mean, Coxey has four touchdowns the last yeah. two games. His last three games, he's got sixteen catches, averaging one hundred sixteen yards per game. Antonio Gibson, we talked about, he's been coming on touchdown in three straight games, at least 79 yards in the three straight games. And he, he had that 78 yard rush too, on top of that. So with just his explosiveness, I, I don't know. I just, for Memphis being a 14 and a half point favorite here, I, I feel like there's gotta be a, somebody on this team that you can use. Yeah. Gibson just continues to dominate with like such low targets. Whereas Coxie, is fifty uh, seventh in the nation in targets, and he's seeing about eight per game. Um, I have more faith in Coxie, especially in a cash lineup, and then Gibson's kind of like your dark tournament play, but he's a tournament play that I typically like to fade because he's he's going to be a little popular based on the game logs. But you look at the targets, and it's like, well, he's really not getting that much work. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I just it's tough not knowing as much about Group of Five and just kind of. You know, South Florida is kind of a weird team. So let's move over to them. I don't know. I mean, this was another one that we almost X'd out, but Memphis hasn't been very good against the run this year. So Jordan Cronkright is who I was looking at. He's 5.6K. He only has two games this year where he's scored a touchdown and eight where he hasn't. And the two where he has, it's been two touchdowns each time. I don't really know what that does for you if that's just random, but he just doesn't seem like a, a high touchdown guy. And Jordan McLeod, he runs a little bit, averages about 10 rushing attempts per game, but he is not a passer at all at quarterback at 5.9. So is there any way to get in here? It, it would only be Cronkite for me. Uh, McLeod's not the best quarterback in the world. Uh, Memphis defense has been a little bit better this year than they've been in years past. But they used to be a sieve, but they returned a lot of guys in defense this year, and they've been a lot better. Um, little, struggling a little bit against a run. And because of that, that's the only guy I'm playing is Cronkite at 5.6. Yeah, I mean, he seems like a decent price. It's just one of those things where if it comes down to it, Hawkins on Louisville is 5.5. So it's like you're either going to have both of those guys in the lineup or pretty much every time I'm going to choose Hawkins over Cronkite. So I don't I don't know. I mean, in theory, he sounds good to me, but I don't know if I'll actually use him when it comes down to it. I, I hear you. I feel the same way. I don't know. This, this was the hardest game for me this week to kind of wrap my head around because, like I said, Brady White has been awesome lately. I might, it might be that thing like last week where I was like, I can't have zero of him. I mean, he scored over 40 points. 
I might have just one lineup with Brady White and pair him up with Coxey, and that's that might be all I do for this game. It's just one lineup with those guys. If they hit, then great. I won't be left with zero of them, but I, I don't know. I just don't want to overexpose myself on teams I don't know a ton about. Sure. And, and the more you look at South Florida, they've played, especially when they're at home, it has kind of been those grinder games that you were talking about that they like to do. So, yeah. okay. All right, well, let's keep moving then. UCLA at USC is the next one. The spread in this one's USC minus 13 and a half, the over under 65 and a half. We'll start with UCLA. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is 6.6K. Joshua Kelly, 6.7K at running back. Demetric Felton, that receiver, 6.2K. I couldn't figure out why he was that expensive. Kyle Phillips at receiver is 5.3. Devin Asiasi, the tight end, is 4.7. Talk to me about UCLA. What do you think here for these guys? It's either going to go one way or the other. They're either going to keep it close and the game's going to shoot out, or they're going to get run over. Um, USC is going to throw for 400 yards, and they're just going to get the doors blown off them. Um, they have been getting better, uh, UCLA. You know, I was really down on coming into the year, but it seems like they've improved every single week. They definitely have a talent disadvantage in this one. No one can argue that. Uh, is there a particular play in UCLA you like here? Yeah, I'm, I'm throwing the game last week against Utah in the trash. I mean, it's sort of how you talked about when there are just certain playoff caliber teams. You almost just have to stack up. Well, okay, well, how did you do against your peers, you know? So yeah. – uh, Joshua Kelly at 6.7. I'm really interested in him. He missed the first game. He's had at least 15 carries in every game since. And four out of the last six games, he's been over 100 yards. He's got a touchdown and five out of the last six and nine total touchdowns in that span. He's not really involved in the passing game. So I guess that's a little bit concerning. But at the same price as Brees Hall, if they're going to stay in this game, USC has struggled too a little bit. They're giving up 4.6 yards per carry on the season, 168 yards per game rushing. So there are there is some opportunity there. And, and he really is the linchpin for their offense. So I'm going to play Joshua Kelly a little bit at 6.7. And it might be one of those things where he's, I don't know, Kyle Phillips, I guess, was a little bit interesting to me at 5.3. Like I said, I couldn't figure out why Demetric Felton was so expensive. And I just keep going back to your lesson of the week where they just, he was a listed at receiver, but was a little bit of a running back at the beginning of the year when Joshua Kelly was hurt. So I don't know if his, he got a big price bump because of that. And they've just never really messed with him from there, but he just hasn't been as involved. So, you know, Devin Asiasi at tight end, it seems on paper like 4.7, that'd be interesting, but his season high is 15 points. So, you know, I don't feel like he justifies that. I, Kyle Phillips has one 100-yard game. He's not average. He's not that explosive of a player, does have five touchdowns. I, I think I might just leave it at Joshua Kelly. Yeah, it. it I will say Phillips has um, 14, 6, 4, and 10 targets in his last four. So it seems like they're really trying to get him the ball. Um he would be the wide receiver if, if uh, going that route. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely emerged as the top guy. And then Dorian Thompson-Robinson at 6.6, he does offer a little bit of rushing. But, you know, when I was kind of crunching the numbers, is like, okay, so say he throws for 200 yards, two touchdowns, has one interception, and then has even 50 rushing yards and a touchdown. Is that even good enough? I mean, he's, he's yeah. basically going to have to do that just to be getting you back to even. And, I mean, that even seems good for him. So Yeah, that's I don't, a good yeah, so I, I think I'll just leave it at Kelly, maybe a little bit of Phillips. Let's move to USC. Again, I know you don't love the the quarterbacks that don't rush. Keaton Slovis is 7,000, but he has been on an absolute tear lately. Has 15 touchdown passes in his last four games. Has been over 400 yards in three out of the four in that span. And it's it could possibly be Clay Helton's last game here. 
They're at home in a rivalry, and USC has a bye next week. So this is their last game of the regular season before they have a bowl game and end this season. So even if they're up by a bunch, I could see them still just playing everybody all the way through. And so that's why I'm interested in Slovis at 7,000. I think they're going to play for the coach and really try to put it on UCLA. And and so at 7,000, he's actually one of my – I mean, I haven't loved a lot of quarterbacks on this slate. I I think I am going to play Slovis, and I think I am even going to pair him up with people. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I might have to make an exception for Slovis this week. Um, they, they they are basically the Washington State offense right now. They're throwing it all over the yard. They're throwing it on everyone. Uh, Slovis looks really, really good. USC's 12th in pass play percentage. Uh, UCLA is giving up 9.1 yards per attempt. Yeah. Washington State did against UCLA. Um, so this is a week for me to make an exception just because 7.0 – is pretty cheap compared to a Washington State like quarterback who's usually like 8.5k. Um, so because of that, I'm going to make an exception and say, you know what, Slovis, go out and be 404, and we'll be happy. Nice, I like the sound of that. Okay, so are you going to pair him up with anyone? It'd be a pretty expensive stack with Michael Pittman Jr. at 7.6k. Yeah. But my goodness, I mean, I, I talked about that <laughs> four good. game tear that Slovis is on. Pittman in, in three out of those four games has 140 or more yards and has 39 catches over the last four games. So, I mean, if you're getting about 10 catches for 140 yards as, as, as a baseline, before you even factor in any touchdowns, you're getting right back in there. So, and Tyler Vaughn's has been a little bit limited with an ankle injury. So I, I think I might have to, I mean, I'll play a little bit of Slovis and I, I might play Pittman Jr. on his own too, but I'm at least going to have one lineup where I'm going to try and find a way to stack those guys because that could be a slate breaker if Pittman Jr. goes off. I'm with you. Uh, and I, I do think Pittman is seeing a little bit of boost here with Vaughn's being hurt. Uh, Vaughn's at 5.6K. Um, he has an ankle injury. He played like six snaps last week. Now the coaches are saying like, you know, Vaughn's is, is doing a little better this week in practice. But if he's out or limited, it's definitely going to help Pittman see uh, more more catch it, more targets in the pass game. Um, and in addition to Pittman, Amon Ross St. Brown, 5.8K. And then if Vance is out for sure, Drake London, 4.7K, uh, is is really cheap. And he will step right into that uh, Vance role, and he should do just fine. Yeah, it's really nice to see. I mean, he's had touchdowns in three straight games, had 111 yards on six catches and a touchdown last week at Cal. Yeah. And like you talked about going against a, a horrendous pass defense. I mean, UCLA, that number that you cited with them on yards per attempt, that's 125 out of 130. I mean, they're giving up 65% completions, and that is just where USC thrives. So uh, as a cheaper stack, would you do Slovis with St. Brown since Pittman's so much more expensive? And, and would you play Pittman on his own? How do you view that if you really just want to kind of get as much as you can on a game like this? Yeah, you could, def- you could definitely throw two of them in there. Um especially if Vons is out. You could definitely throw two in there, 100%. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I'm glad you're on the same page there. I know you don't love the non-rushing quarterbacks, but when I was going through this game, it's like, I don't know how you can't. Yeah. I mean, you just you, you have to. So, okay, well, let's move on to the next one. It's SMU at Navy. The spread in this game is Navy minus 3.5. The over-under is 66.5. 
I'm a little confused here on SMU. I don't know what to do with them. Navy hasn't been on the, on the slate all year, so I don't know a ton about them. But what I do know is that they're number 106 in plays per game on offense. Navy is. And so that sounds like, you know, if they don't have the ball a lot, but it's actually because they run so much and can control the ball for so long that they don't have to run a ton of plays with their style and how, how often they run. And SMU defense is actually number 122 out of 130 in the plays that they allow per game. So I'm a little worried that Navy's offense is just going to be on the field the whole game and SMU is going to have to get their work in in you know, 20, 23, 25, you know, minutes, something like that. So with their guys seeming to be at regular prices, I mean, Bouchelle 7.6 at quarterback, Xavier Jones at running back 7.4, James Prochet at receiver 7.7. They seem full price and I'm a little bit nervous about that. Do you think that they get their work in, in a game like this? Yeah, I'm also a little bit nervous for sure. Um, they're going to have limited opportunities. Uh, but if you look at the, the best case scenario for SMU is if, um, you know, Navy just bust out a bunch of long plays and they score really fast. Because if SMU's defense does a good job and holds Navy to like four yards in a cloud of dust, their offense is screwed for hitting value. Because they're only going to see like uh, a ridiculous low number of plays. I, I remember when Army played Oklahoma last year, and I think the number of offensive plays that Oklahoma ran was just incredibly, incredibly low. Um, so because of that, I think SMU, you might have to be a little picky with them. Uh, and the guy I like is this Prochet guy who just, I mean, they literally throw him the ball every time. So I, I don't know how you don't like a guy like that. He's, he's got at least seven catches in all but one game this season. It's just such an interesting contrast because SMU is the number one team in the country in plays per game. So wow. it's it really is just, I don't know, with these two teams going against each other. There's another guy, uh, Kylan, uh, yeah, what is it, uh, Kylan Granson. At 5.2K, I know Reggie Roberson is out for them. And we were wondering if that Rasheed Rice guy, he's 4.4. He had a big game the first game Roberson was out. So it's like, oh, maybe he's the guy. But Granson, the last three games, is at six touchdowns. The last three games, 17 catches, averaging 97 yards per game. So it it seems like we thought it might be Rice because of that first game. But Granson really seems to be the one who's come on and and consistently done it with Roberson out. So at 5.2, are you interested in him? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little, he's a little expensive for me. Um, I I think tight ends tend to be a little more touchdown dependent. Um, and I prefer a guy who's going to catch the 80 yard touchdowns versus like (laughs) the 12 yard touchdowns, like what Granson does. Oh, he's a, (laughs) just shows how little I know about group of five. I didn't know that he was their tight end. Yeah. He's their tight end. Yeah. That's, just, that's hilarious that nothing like that would ever get by me for any group of five team under never, any circumstance. And it's never. like, Oh, SMU, huh? This Granson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, never. No, Rice is the, the take the top off the defense guy for sure. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, that's, that's definitely good to know. Um, all right, let's move to Navy. You know, Malcolm Perry at 7.8 K at quarterback. We're basically treating him like a running back, aren't we? Yeah, we are. He's, he's absolutely in play. Um, yeah, he is upside. He's just a 7.8K running back. If he throws for something, that's just gravy on the top. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, because even if it is just six points in the passing, you know, he could it could be under 100 yards and a touchdown or maybe not even a touchdown, but he's got 16 rushing touchdowns. 
And so from the quarterback spot with passing touchdowns being four and rushing touchdowns being six, I mean that you get one and a half for every one on that. And plus a hundred yard rushing bonus. It, it just seems like that's easier to get than the 300 yard bonus for a lot of quarterbacks, especially for him. So, you know, at 7.8, I'm not scared off of him at all. I actually think that might be the only guy I play on Navy because it, you know, I don't know. You tell me, it, it seems like with Carruthers at running back and then the fullback, they kind of, split things up and their, their touchdowns are kind of divvied up there. So Perry seems like the main guy for them. Would you play any of the other running backs or, or I mean, would you no. look at it as a situation where you pair up Perry with one of them and sort of a weird stack and less no. in case Navy has it going, I, I they just haven't been on yeah. the slate. So I don't really know what to do with them. Yeah. Not for an option, just because there's like a 0% chance of Perry, you know, throwing the ball to his fullback. That just is such a rare play um, for them. Watch it happen this week. As I said that, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I just you know we we roster these guys because we want the touchdowns, and SMU's defense is competent enough that they're not going to give up like sixty points, which is how Navy would hit Bayou. And we got to remember at fullback with Navy, they do like to rotate a little bit. Um, if they had one guy in there all the time, I'd be a little more interested. Yeah, that's what scared me off looking through their season stats and game logs and things. Is like I really just seems like Perry's the main guy, so we'll just go with him. Um, all right, well, let's get into the last game then. It's UCF at Tulane, another group of five game. The spread in this one's UCF minus six. The over under is 70. At least we're more familiar with UCF. They've been on the slate a bunch, but I'm, I don't know what to do with their running back situation because McRae has been banged up, but then Killens ends up with 10 rushes last week. It, you know, the one week we were talking about Otis Anderson a couple weeks ago, who was coming off a 200 yard game and it was like, oh, just fire away, especially if McCray is out. Turned out McCray was out. And then Anderson gets eight carries and Bentavious Thompson was actually the guy who ended up getting more work. So McCray's 5.2K, Killen's 5.1, Otis Anderson 5.7, Thompson 5.1. Four guys there. I don't really know what to make of it. Do you? Mm-hmm. That, that's just how that's just UCL, uh, UCF. They rotate guys in. Um, I almost hope Greg McRae plays because I know it would be a four-way timeshare and I can fade all of them. Uh, because if McRae is out, uh, Anderson could definitely hit Bayou. Um, Killens, they did lower his price a little bit. Um, and he's just one of those weird guys where he could take six or seven you know, plays and just house call a few of them and he's hit Bayou. Uh, so those are the two I'm interested in there, but I'm secretly hoping that McCray plays um, so I don't play any of these guys. Yeah, it's one of those things like Thompson's had a ton of touchdowns lately. He's had seven touchdowns in the last five games, but he hasn't had more than 11 carries. It's been between seven and 11 carries in every game. So it's like he, he's almost like taking the touchdowns away from Anderson, but not getting enough yeah. work to to make it doable. So. Okay, and then the other thing, too, when it comes to their receivers, I swear, Gabriel Davis, I don't know when he puts up all these numbers because every time he's on the slate, it's like, oh, yeah, I got to play him. And I don't think (laughs) he's put up one single time that he's ever been on a main slate. But then I look at his numbers, it's like, oh, he's got over 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns on the season. So what's that all about? Uh, Yeah, I mean, guy's good. He's sixth in in NCAA in targets. Last four games is 12-10, 7-12. Um, some games he does a lot with them. Other games he does nothing with them. So he's he's just your perfect boomer bust guy. And last couple of weeks, Trey Nixon's got 10 and 12 targets himself. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's just another tough game here uh, because, you know, Tulane, 
you know, looking at them and kind of where they are. Um, they like to really limit the number of plays uh, the opposition gets. I'm, I'm seeing they're only allowing like 70 plays per game, which is you know, uh, relatively a little lower compared to some of the other teams in this slate. And they're uh-huh. just going to run the ball a bunch. You know, their 13th and run play percentage are going to try to stay on the field. Um, so I'm probably only playing one of these guys, Nixon or Davis. I'm, I'm probably not playing both of them in this matchup. But the over-under 70 just tells me they're going to score points. Um, so I definitely want some shares of Davis or Nixon. Yeah, Davis is 7.3, Nixon 6.4. So I don't know if that makes the decision easier. Really, for Davis, he had a four-game stretch with over 600 yards and seven touchdowns. So if you look at his other six games... I guess that's just sort of where it comes in is he was on a tear there for a little while, but Nixon maybe has been the more consistent guy. He's had touchdowns in four out of the last five games. He's had at least 76 yards in four out of the last five games, and he's almost a thousand cheaper. So that might be the direction I go. And then Dylan Gabriel at 7.1K at quarterback. Are you out on him? Yeah, he just doesn't seem to have the upside. Okay, so Killens could potentially be a tournament guy if you're yeah. feeling a little riskier and then just pick one or the other between Davis or Nixon, it sounds like. Yes, absolutely. Okay, let's move to Tulane then. I They've never been on the slate. I, I'm kind of surprised that this game was on there. I think Justin McMillan, the quarterback at 6.3, is the only guy that I'm all that interested in. He's got double-digit rushing attempts in six out of the last seven games. He's got 12 rushing touchdowns on the season. So just that right there for that rushing upside. But really, UCF's defense has been way better than you would think for just the the style of team they are. They're number eight in defensive explosive drive rate, number 14 in yards per play allowed. They're allowing just 54% of passes to be completed this season. So, you know, that kind of scared me off a little bit. You talk about Tulane liking to run the ball. It seems like they kind of split things up at running back, though. So McMillan at quarterback, is, is he playable? Do you know anything else about him? Yeah, Tulane um, is very run-heavy, as I mentioned earlier. They run kind of a goofier style. Uh, They will rotate running backs, like you said, uh, but they will run McMillan a fair amount and try to get him going on the ground and at least make you, uh, you know, account for, have to account for him, you know, in the run game when you're making your fits and hopefully, you know, uh, know, free up some space for some of those running backs to find some success. Uh, With Tulane, it's interesting. When they're up, McMillan throws the ball literally like 10 to 15 times. But when they're down, McMillan throws the ball like 25 to 30 times. Uh, so it's really game flow dependent based on McMillan and, you know, how he could find success there. So would you be interested, you know, with them as an underdog and an over under a 70? Yeah. Would you be interested in any of these receivers? They've got Darnell Mooney at 5.8. Jalen McCleskey, I think. People know that name because he transferred from Oklahoma State. He's 4.4, and Tyrick James is 4.1K. I, I don't – I mean, I know who McCleskey is, but looking through his game logs, wasn't all that impressed, and I don't know who these other guys are. So, Yeah, I, I, I want to play uh, probably McCleskey, but, you know, we were talking pre-pod. He just hasn't really flashed the upside other than a late, late catch to um, uh, beat Houston. I believe that that's who they were playing the one night. Yeah, I think we were recording when that was happening. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but you know, he could ha- he could find upside here. He's talented. 
Okay. Uh, well, that'll do it for the game breakdowns. Let's get into some key injuries. I'm going to rip through a few of these and just tell me out of these, Bob, which you think are some of the more important ones for the slate. We've got Watt Fillier for Indiana. He is questionable. He's going to be a game time decision. We've got KJ Hamler for Penn State at receiver. We'll see what the deal is with him. It seems like he'll they'll find a way to get him to play, but how effective he'll be, I don't know. We X'd out Penn State anyway. Running back Noah Kane for Penn State also is questionable. He's dressed the past couple of weeks but just hasn't got in the game. It's been more a journey Brown uh, quarterback, Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma state. We talked about he's out for the season quarterback, Drew Brown for Oklahoma state. He's probable, but we'll just have to see it, it, You know, that's a really, really important thing to monitor just with his price and everything. Colin Johnson receiver for Texas is going to be, sounds like a game time decision receiver, Tyler Vons for USC. He played, I, mean, I think, what'd you say it was six snaps last week and has a yeah. little bit of an ankle issue that he suffered in week 11. So See the status on him. I don't really know if we can trust him, but that might affect Drake London at receiver. And then uh, Vavie Malapai at running back for USC is questionable, could come back in this game. That just clouds things up for Keenan Christian and uh, Stephen Carr if he comes back. So that's sort of why we avoided the USC running back situation. And then wide receiver TJ Simmons for West Virginia. We talked about him. Uh, that might help. Jared Deggie, but it kind of clouds things for all the receivers that they've been going in his absence over the past few weeks. Receiver Denzel Mims for Baylor seems probable. Receiver Lawrence Cager for Georgia also seems probable. We X'd out that game. So some pretty important ones, it seems like, Bob. What are you looking at the most when you're going to be setting your lineups on Saturday? Oh, boy. Um, definitely the Drew Brown situation for Oklahoma State. He's so cheap. Um, Colin Johnson will affect a bunch. Um, and then Denzel Mims, just because you know Texas has been horrendous uh, in the past game. So I, I got to look at that one. Yeah, that's a really important one. Okay, well, let's get into our favorite plays of the week. We'll start with you. We have $18,000 to draft a quarterback, running back, and receiver and make a little team. So who did you have this week on your team? I ate the chalk a little bit this week here, Jake. Okay. Um, I went with Keaton Slovis at quarterback against everything I believe and not playing rushing on rushing quarterbacks. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, so I, I dropped on board. Uh, Seven point okay. I did uh, Hawkins for Louisville at 5.5. Okay. Pass that up, and that left me 5.5 left at wide receiver, which is actually a pretty tough range. If you look at the guys at 5.5K, none of those guys jump off the page as like, oh, wow, that's a safe play. Um, However, if you drop down a few hundred to Dylan Stoner at 5.2K, you're just like, yeah, he's underpriced. Um, So I ate a bunch of chalk here, but I like my lineup to score some points there, given the 18 uh, thousand uh, salary restriction. What about you? Nice. I like it. I was wondering if we were going to have the same guys again this week and we don't, I have drew Brown at quarterback at 4.9 K. Okay. I, I just can't pass it. I mean, he's so cheap and I, I mean, that just gives you tons of flexibility and you know how much I like that at running back. I have Brees hall for Iowa state at 6.7. I actually thought you would have him for sure. So I like, I guess I, I love him, but I, I just couldn't make it work. Yeah, I was going to say, if you would have told me at the beginning of this week who is Bobby's favorite running back going to be, I would have said Brees Hall, hands down. But uh, I love, and then my, uh, we, we, we kind of did similar things here, though, where I, I had Tutu Atwell as my receiver at 5.9. So, you know, you have Dylan Stoner as your receiver. I have his quarterback. And then you have the running back from the Louisville game, and I have the receiver Tutu Atwell for Louisville. So we kind of had a, a similar thought there, but you got Keaton Slovison, and I had Brees Hall as our other players. So. And I was at 17.5 on that. Nice. Okay. 
Yep, but that'll do it. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Best of luck with all of your lineups this weekend. We'll be back Sunday night or early Monday morning, depending on when you listen, with the College Football Weekly Roundtable. I will be joined by Ray Ruberg and Tony Ruberg for that one. Make sure to head to power5cast.com. Our preview, our, the five games to watch, all the stats, information, everything we use for that, and our picks are up on the site now, so make sure to head there. And then make sure to head to Gup's Corner, where you can check out Bobby's work there and everything they have going on over at Gup's Corner. That'll do it for us, though. I'm Jacob Doyle for Bobby Berger. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll see you next time. Take care.